Ice Theaters, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the Ice Theaters experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. Ice Theaters, meet us at Cine Europe, booth 107. The challenge, I would say, of making sure that every day, whether it's a Monday afternoon, a Wednesday morning, a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon, it doesn't matter. The person coming to that show has to have a consistently great experience because you only will succeed if you can deliver a high quality experience because people, this is more true now in 2022 than it ever was because of the choices that people have and with the things that they can do with their lives and particularly their leisure time. There are so many choices both in home and out of home now. And if you do not exceed people's expectations, you will not succeed. This is the Box Office Podcast in our Cine Europe edition, brought to you by Ice Theatres. I am Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively focused on covering the world of theatrical exhibition, joined here today by our colleague from Box Office Pro France, Romeo Duchesne. Together, we will be looking at the global opening weekend. Well, it's not really a global opening weekend, Romeo. It's a domestic opening weekend and a global expansion for Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, We'll be going over those numbers shortly. And in our feature segment, part of our Cine Europe coverage, I will be speaking to the COO of View International. That is Steve Nibbs, who is receiving the award for International Exhibitor of the Year at Cine Europe next week in Barcelona. Now, Romeo, let's take advantage that you're here with us today because we've got an interesting development going on in the French market with Disney and the planned theatrical release of Strange World, its upcoming original animated title. This movie is going to be hitting theaters in many markets around the world later this year. It was supposed to hit theaters in France in December, but it's no longer going to be available for French cinema. Strange World is now going straight to Disney+. Plus. This is causing a lot of commotion in the French market with French exhibitors very angry about this development. Why did Disney take this decision only in France to have this film skip theaters? Well, because as you know, France is a very unique territory and our window for theatrical release date, SVOD release date is a is a mess, very complicated. We have rules to follow. It's um, rules by the government. And so, yeah, this is why uh, Disney removed their um, their movie in order to put some pressure uh, on that negotiation, yeah. Wow, so you mentioned government there, and this is something to, to clarify with our listeners. The theatrical exclusivity window in France is actually not dictated by the companies and the industries themselves. The government is involved through the Ministry of Culture. So to be able to have an SVOD streaming platform or to to basically time out your releases to go in theaters and then in your own streaming app, you need to follow a government set of mandated rules. I know there's been a change very recently, earlier this year, to that length of that theatrical exclusivity window set by the government, especially in regards for films from streamers like Netflix that release a film in theaters and then the amount of time that elapses for those films 
to be available in SVOD platforms. Before this change, let's take Netflix, for example. How long did Netflix have to wait between opening a film in French theaters and releasing it in streaming through their app? Do you want to guess? <laughs> um, I, 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 I have no idea here. Because here in the US, it's day it, and date, right? We're lucky if we get a month. Yeah, 36 months. <laughs> no, it's three years? Yeah. It was, well, it was three years. So up until earlier this year, you have a theatrical exclusivity window on SVOD of three yeah. years, 36 months. Now, listen, that probably sounds very good to some of our listeners. Windows here in the United States are drastically, drastically shorter. That changed with a new set of media chronology laws where streamers and studios have to sign independent agreements to fund local productions in France in exchange for getting shorter windows between that theatrical release and that streaming SVOD release. Now, Netflix signed that deal. They signed that deal, when was it? March, April? They went from 36 months to- 15. Okay, 15 months. Wow, that's that's an improvement. That's still over a year between a, a film's release in theaters in France and Netflix being able to, to, to put this uh, on their streaming platform. And that's only after Netflix committed to spending a significant amount of money yeah. on local productions. What happens for the companies that don't sign this deal? Did that 36-month period get any shorter? What is it for people that don't sign? Well, like for Disney+, Plus, it's 17 months. Where it makes no sense a lot is that you can buy the Blu-ray uh, in any store four months after the theatrical release date, but you can't watch it on Netflix until 15 months. So the theatrical exclusivity window here is tiered. You have a four-month exclusive period in screens in France, at which point it goes to a home media release. But when we're talking about specifically that SVOD, that streaming strategy, for companies like Netflix and for studios like Disney, which has Disney Plus in France, we're talking about a 17-month period, which can be shorter if you sign a special agreement. Netflix did. They went from 17 months to 15 months. Disney hasn't signed that agreement. Instead, they're trying to negotiate with the French government by pulling theatrical releases entirely from the market. Am I following this correctly? Because this seems like something that can be a big, big problem in France. Yeah, you're following very correctly, but uh, there is one last piece of that thing is that the SVOD window in France, and especially for Disney+, Plus, is between, like we said, 17 months, starts at 17 months after the theatrical release date, and stops at 22 months. Yes, stop at okay, 22 wow. months. So it means that Disney+, Plus can only have the movie between 17 and 22 months. So streaming, SVOD specifically, has to wait 17 months to get the title onto their app after debuting in theaters. And even after waiting nearly a year and a half, they only have the availability on these streaming platforms to show the film for five months before it goes to, what is it, pay TV, TV regular TV? So it goes directly to TV after that period. It's a yeah. very uh, difficult position, I think, here for a lot of streaming companies, a lot of studios investing heavily on their own yeah, streaming channels. Uh, in France. Yeah, because the only way for them to to longer that SVOD window is to co-produce uh, that movie or that series with uh, with a TV channel. This is the only way for them in order to, to keep the, the movie on their platform. So we're seeing right now Disney playing hardball 
with the French government in trying to get better terms without having to sign an agreement that they don't see as beneficial to them. Unfortunately, French exhibitors are caught up in the middle here. Do you see this potentially being an issue for other movies coming out later this year? I think this is an isolated example right now because they have to put some uh, some pressure because this is a, a big issue. It will not be resolved by just one guy saying, okay, Disney Plus can, uh, can do that. No, not at all. I mean, they have to deal with the government. They have to write a new law. They have to deal with uh, exhibitors. They have to deal with everywhere, with TV channel. I think it's isolated right now. I think we'll probably have more of them. Probably, I don't know, a couple of them, but not, uh, not a lot. They still need uh, the touch recall. Yeah, absolutely. These things probably need the theatrical before they even have to think about their streaming strategy. But it's striking that balance on having a window that, that works for both sides of the industry, having the government involved in that conversation, making it uh, tricky for both exhibitors and studios over in the French market. We'll be tracking this story in the coming weeks and months. You can find details on everything that we cover at boxofficepro.com. Romeo, thanks for those insights as we continue to figure out what this new normal is when it comes to theatrical exclusivity, to balancing release windows between theatrical, between home entertainment. One film that doesn't have to worry too much about that right now is Jurassic World Dominion, which uh, opened here in North America, had a big opening weekend, and also performed very, very well overseas. Romeo, what was the opening weekend here like in North America? Uh, Jurassic World opened uh, $143.3 million uh, from uh, 4,000, almost 5,000 theater. Wow, so big, big good, release. Uh, very good opening. Yeah, yeah. it's bigger than, uh, than Top Gun on a three days uh, basis. Which is a type of release that we don't see too often, especially as we emerge from the pandemic, over 4,500 screens here in North America. That opening weekend for Jurassic World Dominion, uh, being slightly behind the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom opening weekend, that opened to 148 million back in 2018, more or less in line to those numbers. But when we compare that to 2015's Jurassic World, Jurassic World opening to 208 million, we're seeing some wear and tear here, but performance, at least domestically, looks to be in line with where the franchise was four years ago. So we are looking at pre-pandemic figures, at least. I think this is a positive result here in the United States and Canada. I actually got to speak with Jim Orr, the president of domestic distribution, to go over these results and what his assessment was of that opening weekend domestically for Jurassic World Dominion. We have a, a truly beloved franchise, we really do, that has a very broad, very enthusiastic audience, and they were obviously more than anxious to come and see it back in theaters, especially on the enhanced format screens, making our title a true event, you know, a blockbuster that really needs to be experienced on the big screen. So couldn't be more pleased with just a tremendous debut this year. And that was Jim Moore, president of domestic theatrical distribution over at Universal Pictures, speaking to us here at the Box Office Podcast on that opening weekend of Jurassic World Dominion. Romeo, uh, you are also looking at some of the numbers here that our parent company, the box office company, is uh, analyzing. Now, the box office company manages a number of exhibitor websites and ticketing platforms here domestically. You were telling me before we started recording that the type of transactions for Jurassic World diverted slightly from the type of transactions we were seeing for Top Gun Maverick. 
Yeah, you know, I'm crazy about uh, data points and human behavior. And yeah, for for Jurassic World, uh, the average uh, ticket number per transaction was uh, almost three tickets. So um, a big, big number when it was only one, not only, but it was 2.5 tickets for Top Gun. So we, we we go to see Jurassic World, to watch Jurassic World more in group than, uh, than for Top Gun. I think that speaks to the popularity of this franchise among families, as family entertainment. And the demographics back that up here. Romeo, looking at the opening weekend demographics provided to us by Universal, this is a movie that over-indexed among minority groups in the United States. A very interesting data point, Hispanic audiences over-indexing in ticket sales, representing 28% of that opening weekend box office for Jurassic World Dominion. But we're seeing a pretty diverse and eclectic mix here of audiences. This looks to be like a family title. Jim Orr from Universal actually speaking to this title's appeal to a wide number of audiences and how that reflects the universal strategy moving forward throughout the rest of the year, bringing in a number of titles that can appeal to wide audiences, different set of titles that don't rely on that superhero demographic. Universal take great pride in the fact that we have a very diverse slate in the next uh, several weeks. I just proved that exponentially. Uh, we start off obviously this past weekend with amazing launch of Jurassic World Dominion. And again, you can use the notes that I just gave you earlier on that. Uh, we followed that up with a, uh, an exciting, thrilling horror film from our friends at Blumhouse uh, with a black phone. And then immediately into one of the most beloved franchises in animation. It is the rise of Gru on July 1st. Uh, and then, of course, at the uh, July 22nd, we debut Jordan Peele's next film. So, yeah, I mean, it just right there shows you what an incredible, diverse slate we have. Amazing filmmakers that we work with. And we, we're, we take great pride in having such a diverse slate that has something for literally every single audience out there. Now, let's move on to that overseas performance of Jurassic World Dominion, which opened in 15 markets overseas last weekend. It expanded to 72 overseas markets in this frame that just finished up. It's at $245.7 million total. Outside of North America, premium formats performing really well here, Romeo, including 3D. Yeah, and it's huge. It's 25%, so a quarter of ticket sales in 3D. It's it's, uh, it's it's a great number. Uh, it has been why we didn't see that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a very, very important news, especially as we start looking forward to uh, the Avatar sequel. Later on this year, we really need 3D to get back into moviegoers' minds. And it looks like with a quarter of all global ticket sales going to the 3D format, that 3D recovery is starting to ramp up. It's a, it's a good thing to see. Romeo, Jurassic World Dominion opening in China to 52.5 million this weekend. That is the biggest MPA opening weekend of 2022 in the market, almost in line with Jurassic World. But uh, how does that stack up to what we had seen from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in the Chinese market? Well, it's half, it's half. Uh, it okay. was uh, just a little bit above a uh, hundred million dollars uh, back in the days for Fallen Kingdom. But Daniel, you're too hard on us. You're still comparing movies with pre-COVID movies. Stop doing that, Daniel. Come on. Uh, we can't do that. We us. can't do that. Well, it's it's something easy to do here in the domestic market, as we were seeing, because we're seeing this pre-COVID performance domestically. Let's go down the list here on top performers overseas, Romeo, Mexico 
added 8.1 million this weekend as we know this title opened last week in mexico jurassic world dominion is now up to 30.4 million total after two weekends in mexico that is the number to market uh overseas in third place we had south korea which has now gone up to 21.7 million in two weeks that's almost in line with jurassic world at the same point in release and now let's move over to Europe, Romeo, where Jurassic World Dominion opened at the top spot in the UK and Ireland this weekend. Yeah, exactly. UK is still the, the biggest country right now for European release. So Jurassic World Dominion opened uh, number one this weekend to $15.4 million, achieving Universal's fifth highest grossing three-day weekend of all time, beating Falling Kingdom. So great, uh, great news from the UK. Yeah, not bad news at all coming from the UK and Ireland. And following them, we had France, where it actually opened to 9.7 million, just above Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That's a number one opening in the French market. What's your reaction to this 9.7 million from France? Um, I think it's very good. Why? Because um, Jurassic World Dominion in the UK opened 21% below Top Gun's opening. In France, it opened just at the same level as Top Gun. So I think it's uh, overperforming a little bit in uh, in France. And yeah, we were expecting an opening between 8 to $10 million, uh, which is in line with Fallen Kingdom. And again, comparing with the pre-COVID movies, I think it's still a great, uh, great news. And the movie performed, outperformed so well for the Saturday 8 and 9 p.m. show uh, for just those two showtimes represent more than 20% of all the, the opening weekend revenue for Jurassic World. To round out this conversation on, on the analysis side here, Romeo, I just wanted to step back and just look at some global performance of now three blockbusters that are in release worldwide. We not only have Jurassic World Dominion that is nearing 400 million global after a couple of weeks in the market. Top Gun Maverick is now up to 747 million worldwide. And Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, this is up to 930 million. Man, it just it feels great to have these data points. It feels great to have these tent poles. I'm just curious to see how many other titles can come in between these big movies and help create momentum, help create a sustainable release pattern domestically and around the world. And that wraps up the news segment in this week's edition of the Box Office Podcast, bringing you our special Cine Europe edition. This is the first of three episodes looking at that European market to coincide with the largest exhibition convention in Europe happening in Barcelona next week. Part of this special series is a number of interviews that we'll be bringing you sponsored by Apex Order Pickup Solutions. This week, we'll be talking to Steve Nibbs, the COO of VIEW International, the third largest circuit in the UK and Europe as a whole. We'll be talking to him right after this message from our sponsor. Your customers love going to the movies, but they hate waiting in lines. With Order HQ smart food lockers from Apex Order Pickup Solutions, they can skip the concessions line and get order pickup in less than 10 seconds. They just order from your mobile app or at the concession counter, get a notification on their phone when their order's ready. Then they can scan their code, their door pops open, and they pick up in less than 10 seconds. Find out how you can make concessions part of the fun by visiting apexorderpickup.com. 
and we are here with Steve Nibbs, the Chief Operating Officer over at View International. Steve, you've had a wonderful career here in the industry. I think over 35 years at this point, uh, dating back to 1987. I, I want to start here with you in this uh, audio version of our interview. You were part of that team in the first purpose-built multiplex in the UK and Europe, The Point in Milton Keynes, operated by AMC Cinemas. How was that experience like, introducing this concept to that market? It was fantastic, really. I actually went down there for a job interview with the company that was the joint venture partner with AMC at the time, um, called Bass Leisure, which is one of the UK's largest breweries and leisure companies. And they had bingo and nightclubs and bars and restaurants. And they had created this thing with AMC, which I'd kind of heard a little bit about. It actually opened in late um, 1985, uh, early 86. And it was the first multiplex in the middle of a field in Milton Keynes. And I'd kind of read about it and seen it on the news. But then I, um, I worked um, in pubs and restaurants, hotels, conferences, centres in, in Yorkshire and around the Leeds area. Worked for a brewery, Joshua Tetley. Um, I decided to leave and I wanted to do something else because at that time, this is the mid-80s, they wouldn't give an opportunity. Um, I was one of their up-and-coming managers who had opened you know, deli restaurants in York. I'd done American-themed diners, some of the first ones even before TGI Fridays, that kind of thing, as well as all the pubs and the hotels. And I was looking for a promotion to be an area manager. And then the HR um, head of HR pointed out to me that I didn't have a degree, so they couldn't possibly promote me. So my response to that was, okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> I mean, <you> <laughs> So, because um, I kind of I've worked all my life, I did go to college for a couple of years, but I didn't finish, and I wanted to work, and that's that's how I made my way. So I was looking around for jobs and all sorts of different things, and uh, the agency I was using told me about the point at Milton Keynes. They were looking for a front of house manager. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'll I'll go and take a look. So I went down for the day, got the train to London, and then up to Milton Keynes. You couldn't go direct then, and um, and I went to the the point at Milton Keynes met the uh, the manager the general manager there and i didn't like him at all again less you know lesson in life it's like you, know, you want to impress somebody you want to come and work for you be nice and i i just wasn't i liked the place but i wasn't impressed with him and bass at all at the time so anyway the interview finished and i had a bit of time before i got the train back so i was wandering around and it was kind of midday so there wasn't a lot going on and at the top of the steps of where the cinema is a big american guy walked up to me and he introduced himself, and it was Millard Oaks, who's ended up as the president of uh, Warner you know, International um, Theatres. And Millard was the operations director, and Charles Wasoki, who I met later, was the managing director. And Millard was the operator, and Charles looked after the, a lot of the deals, the property deals, and also the film side of the business. And Millard showed me around. He said, come on, he says, we're looking for young managers. If you're looking for a career, come on, I'll show you around. So he showed me around the point at Milton Keynes with its 2,000 seats and 10 screens and popcorn, and it was clean and smart. And I think people forget the now, because this is a long time ago, of course, but the word flea pit definitely applied to a lot of, not all of them, to be fair, but to a lot of cinemas in the UK at that time. You know, a couple of years previously, um, the UK had done 54 million admissions, which is one visit per head of population. So it, was a, it wasn't an up-and-coming business. It was a business that worked with the occasional you know summer blockbuster and the american you know companies led by amc were kind of reinventing it and it was amazing and he invited me back so why, why don't you come and work on a session so i went back on a saturday a few weeks late a couple of weeks later 
And I had just the best time. It was just amazing. It was a real, I can remember it now, it was a fantastic buzz to the place. And they did these things, like they did late shows, I mean, mid midnight shows, and all 2,000 seats sold out. They had bouncers on the doors, and um, it was an incredible buzz and atmosphere. Just amazing. Um, and I thought I would love to be part of this. So I had an interview, I met a guy called Gerald Buckle, who was the, the training manager, um, and I joined and went to the training school there. And I spent six months, I joined in October 1987, um, and I was there for six months. And then I went up to the first site in the country that was part of one of the big shopping malls that were being built at the time of the Metro Centre and opened that as assistant manager. And then I ended up in Warrington and dum 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 and my career sort of took off from that. But I will always remember that first visit with Millard and then meeting uh, Charles later. It was um, it was kind of one of those moments in your life, looking back on it, that you go, I made the right call at that point. Because <laughs> I remember coming home to speak to my girlfriend, who's who, late, later my wife, Carol, and I said, do you fancy she was doing she was doing a social care course at Leeds University at the time? And I said, oh, I'm thinking of moving to Milton Keynes. Do you fancy coming for a, you know for a while? Because I I, I kind of went. I could always go back and work in a pub and do things, but this right. seemed very different. And um, I was I just I remember one time I was in Warrington. We were opening the Warrington Cinema at the time. This was in 1988, and I got in a, in a cab from the um, train station in Warrington to go up to the site, which was just out of town by the the brand new first Ikea that was in the UK. <laughs> Again, it, you, you can't imagine it now. So all this stuff was brand new in the late days. Of course, of course. It's amazing to think about it now. And I got in this cab and I told where the guy where I was going, oh, he says, yeah, I've seen that place. He said, um, I thought it was going to be squash courts um, um, because it was kind of big and you can imagine being like a, a thing like that. Um, he says, so cinemas, he says, how do you, and I told him what it was in 10 screens. And he said, how do you watch all 10, uh, 10 films at the same time? And <laughs> that's how new the concept was at that time, yeah. Exactly right. It was just like people didn't know what we were talking about at all. And it did take a long time to break through um, the habit. But we, we had a saying at the time, and that proved to be, I mean, people got it really quickly, how good this was compared to what they were had experienced before. And, you know, fantastic food and drink offer, clean, clean between every show, fantastic quality sound, um, Dolby stereo. It was just, it was revolutionary. And it's really hard to kind of compare it now, I think, um, just how revolutionary you know, it was. And we had a saying back then, which is build it and they will come. And most of our sites then that we opened in, um, you know, in Warrington was a little bit slow, but Sheffield, the Metro Centre, Clyde Bank, the Maryhill Centre at Dudley, all had first year admissions of, and they were up um, eight to 10 screen cinemas, all of them. 2,000 seats was the standard then. And they were all doing, um, you know, a, a million, over a million in their first year. Wow. Really. Um, wow. Admissions. And it was a build it and they will come kind of situation then. It was, it was brilliant to be part of. Well, in those early days, I think everyone entering an industry learns lessons about that industry that they end up taking on through the rest of their career. On your end, what did you learn in those first couple of years introducing the multiplex model in the UK that is still relevant to your role at VIEW International? Some of the lessons for me were about quality and consistency. Um, it was okay building the, I mean, I'm an operator at my core and always have been and always will be. And the ability to to be able, the challenge, I would say, of making sure that every day, whether it's a Monday afternoon, a Wednesday morning, a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon, it doesn't matter. The person coming to that show has to have 
a consistently great experience because you only will succeed if you can deliver a high quality experience because people and this is this is more true now in 2022 than it ever was because of the choices that people have and with the things that they can do with their lives and particularly their leisure time there are so many choices both in home and out of home now and if you do not exceed people's expectations you will not succeed and whether it's the toilets or whether it's how the popcorn and all of your food and beverages serve whether it's the image on the screen being the right image at the the right light level and the sound levels that all of those things go into having a, a complete experience and um and i just learned um with the team about how you had to you had to be on your a game all of the time and um it's funny and again we were rebuilding an industry at the time looking back on it and one of the things that millard made very very clear to us because you were it was very competitive and we still are very competitive with all everybody today but you know a, one of the things he told me at the time, which has stuck with me, is you know a bad cinema trip um, visit that somebody has. It doesn't matter what the cinema is, doesn't help our industry. And I really believe that. I mean, we do all compete and compete strongly, but I, I don't like to hear about when people have crappy visits to other cinemas. You kind of go, well, that's not great of how people think about what a cinema visit you know might be to spend their time. So those are you know some of the lessons that I think I had at the time. I think as well, just think of another thing, which was really about keeping ahead, keeping your offer and your staff and everything you do up to date and ahead. You should never, ever stand still. We have to keep moving the offer. When I think about the food and beverage and the things that have been added to the basic core and popcorn, that has stood the test of time, by the way, um, a soft drink or a beer now. But you, you, you need to keep evolving it. And we've all added coffee and ice cream and hot food and all sorts of things to what we serve, um, which is the right thing to do because you've got to keep exceeding people's expectations, I think. I think that's a, a really great way of describing where we are now as an industry. And for you professionally, this is the second time you're involved in recovering the UK market. As we come out of the pandemic, it's been a very difficult period. As a multinational operator, obviously, view uh, you have a visibility into different markets, how they've recovered. Uh, from your perspective here at VIEW International, where are we in the recovery and how is VIEW prioritizing regaining that movie going habit from your audiences across your markets? So in terms of where we are right now, I think we're in a better place than we have been for since March 2020 when we all closed down. Um, we had already seen some of the closures um, happen already in the first market in Europe, which was Italy back in, in the January up in the Lombardia region, um, Milan cinemas were all closed very early on in that area. So we had been dealing with it with our um, our incident team, you know, right since those days. So we're well into, we're well past the two year date. And I think we're at the best period of recovery right now. And we tried obviously in 20 when we came out in the summer, then closed again in the winter and then 21 opened. And it does feel like we are seeing more normal patterns of behavior start to happen, but we're a long way from the end game here, which I think is a full recovery. Um, we use, you know, as a lot of people do 2019, we also use a three-year benchmark of 17, 18, 19, but 19 is a good representative thing to aim for. And we're, so we're all, I think all of our markets are, are off getting to that on a consistent basis. But I, th I do think we're in a really strong place as a foundation to start building and re-engaging with our audiences and getting the habit of going back to the cinema 
part of what people do. I think that's really important for families. Um, one of the things that I spoke about in CinemaCon when I was on the panel on Monday morning and the international panel was a shout out for more family films. We've seen when we have things on that families are the first to, you know, to fill up the seats and to come along and they want to know what the next thing or the next thing is. So uh, a lot of those films went, went to streaming and understandably, I understand the reasons for that, but hopefully with the success we've seen with Sing, with Clifford and the Big Red Dog, just to name two, we saw some footage at CinemaCon of Lightyear, which looked absolutely terrific. And so the first 20 odd minutes of that just looked wonderful. And that's just going to be a great family film that's going to do terrific, as will Minions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just like to see more of those at the moment. Right. And also for something for more for older audiences as well. Those are those that audience is slower to come back um, and it's going to take time. And we've all got to work hard on one, having the content for them and then making sure when they visit that um, they really have a great time and are well looked after. And part of that challenge in re-engaging those moviegoers, Steve, as you note, isn't only with the availability of product, but in the same way that you experienced in the late 80s in the UK, making sure that that moviegoing experience remains exciting, remains desirable as a fun night out. Uh, I know View has, over the past couple of years, been very strategic in making investments in its circuit. I know, uh, having heard from your CEO, Tim Richards, at Cine Europe last year, that premium seating, for example, has been a big, big focus for the circuit. What are those areas where VIEW is actually investing in and and considering to make sure that moviegoing remains desirable for audiences today? I think it's important to just to comment on the backdrop that we're all um, working under at the moment. Um, having had two years of being closed for long periods, our revenue is being depleted. Nobody sits in particularly strong cash positions, you know, right now as we rebuild our businesses. And I think there's an awful lot that everybody would like to do, but it's got to be against that that kind of backdrop. However, through the pandemic because of the deals that we did with a lot of our landlords where we agreed new rent deals and, and leases and extended and we've unlocked you know capital from those partners and we're investing that in uh, recliner seating as being one of our primary investment areas we believe in it very strongly and are investing in all of our territories um, to a lesser or greater extent and we've actually been active and continue to be active in that area we see recliner i think as as tim you know, mentioned before in his, you know, his um, previous interviews that we see that as a game changer in terms of the the value experience that people have. They there was nothing wrong with our standard seats; they were all pretty good quality, as are everybody's. But um, that compared to a recliner is kind of night and day. And I think if you really want to excite your audience, give them reasons to come out, you know, recliner, in my opinion, is part of it. As is the quality of the image on the screen. You know, the move to laser, we're looking to and are investing in laser technology uh, for our uh, digital projection and adding um, more Atmos and more sound, improved sound quality as well in all our auditorium. So that complete experience, because that's what people come for. Ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, the best way to watch Top Gun is, you know, recliner seat with laser projection or double projection from a, a Sony 4K digital projector, which we've got at the West End and in Westfield and places like that and Hamburg, Damtor and, and Warsaw with amazing Atmos sound. I mean, you just cannot beat that, I think, uh, and a bit of popcorn. I'm already looking forward to it. So 
I do think the recliners are a key part of that, as is the sight and sound package. You've got to keep investing in that quality. Something else that we're putting a lot of effort into as well is harmonizing and improving all of our systems so that the the journey for customers, we're upgrading and putting all of our websites on one platform across Mm -hmm. all of our territories. That makes our conversations with the studio much easier with um, some of the work that we do with them from a marketing and data point of view. A lot is talked about data by the studios and we are good partners in that area with working with our data and our customer knowledge to help you know have very targeted and successful promotions and having everybody on the same system basis everywhere just makes that job so much easier um, so we're a one-stop shop for people to have that conversation so we're doing a lot of work on our operating systems on our um, and all of our back office things as well that ultimately lead to a, a good digital journey for customers to you know to have people are increasingly using their phones for everything so mm-hmm. booking and doing everything on your phone with your F&B your ticket um, and your interaction with us after you leave is all through your phone and we're putting a lot of effort into into that and i think the final area as well is investment in people as well we mustn't forget that as well and whether that is through training programs or coaching but having offers and things that really great people say I want to go and work in the cinema industry and I want to work for that company I want to come and work for you and we're very proud of our employer brand in in our markets but we're having to invest more and to raise the the level of what people's expectation is because people that want to come work for us are customers as well so we have to speak to them in the same language and and offer them things that they may not have had before so um, whether that's training or guidance or whatever it might be but investment in people, I think, is an important part of what everybody needs to um, concentrate on, as well as the systems and the you know the physical infrastructure of our cinemas. Um, how they're operated is is just key because we can have the nicest cinemas, as I said earlier. But if they're not well run, you know, it doesn't really matter. You're not you're not going to succeed. Spoken like a true COO, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today in the interview. That is Steve Nibbs, Chief Operating Officer of VIEW International, the 2022 Cine Europe International Exhibitor of the Year. And that wraps up today's episode of the Box Office Podcast. In our special Cine Europe edition, we have two more Cine Europe branded episodes brought to you by Ice Theaters and Apex Order Pickup Solutions. The next one's coming out next Thursday, and we are finishing off with a recap two weeks from now, looking back on everything that went down at Cine Europe, the largest convention bringing together the European cinema owners. Thanks again to this week's guests. We had Romeo Duchenne from Box Office Pro France, Jim Orr, the president of theatrical distribution domestically at Universal Pictures. And last but not least, we had Steve Nibbs, the COO of View International. Thanks again to you, our listeners, for joining us. The Box Office Podcast is produced in collaboration with Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next week. Mm